The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. You're listening to The Chris and Joe Show on Big Blue View Radio, your go-to source for New York Giants analysis. Pressure from Thomas off the edge. Eli Manning stays on his feet, airs it out down the field. It is caught by Tyree. Welcome back to the Chris and Joe Show, presented to you by SB Nation and Big Blue View. I am Joe DeLeon, joined by Chris Flum. As always, we are here to give you the breakdown and analysis, the film analysis going deeper than your typical Giants podcast here, a part of the Big Blue View uh, radio podcast network, as well as contributing to the website of Big Blue View. We're still moving along with these position group previews. We have made some significant progress. We are now on the defensive side of the ball. The defensive line obviously being the biggest strength on this Giants defense. It features a lot of highly played guys, paid guys, a lot of guys that have some serious experience as well as some intriguing young options because of how big the defensive line group is, as well as some of the linebacker groups are. Today's show is going to be all the defensive linemen talking more about the starters than we are the backups. And then we're going to transition a little bit talking about the Sam backers, the guys that are listed as Sam backers on the roster, because those guys are considered to be pass rushers. They're considered to be edge defenders, guys that we will be seeing on the line of scrimmage, but have the possibility of dropping in coverage and will primarily be contributing in a two-point stance rather than with their hand in the dirt. Chris, this is a group that we have always been so excited to talk about, and I don't think it's a hot take, and I think we've even said this before, to say that this group is the best on the defense. But the real question is, is this defensive line good enough to make up for some of the issues playing behind them with a lot of young guys in the secondary, still some young linebackers. Is it enough to to make up for some of those issues? Um, I'm not sure we can quite say that just because I'm not sure this group has enough ability to exert pressure on an offense. They can stand up to pretty much any offensive line, even the Eagles or the Cowboys or the 49ers this defensive line really is a match for any of them 
they're all big. They're all athletic. There's a lot of skill on this off- on this defensive line as well. The one thing they don't really have is that natural pass rush ability the, that you see with some of the really premier lines that can defensive fronts, I suppose we could say, that can really cover up and assist the groups behind them and really make the lives of linebackers and defensive backs easier. We've said that for a while now that this group has always been missing that pass rusher, that premier pass rusher. And in a previous show, I think we did it a couple different occasions when discussing Patrick Graham's new defensive scheme, some of the possibilities, we could get pressure generated by some unique fronts using guys that are pass rushing linebackers instead of defensive linemen. We don't know entirely for sure what we're going to be getting because Graham is going to be bringing a variation of what he ran with the Miami Dolphins last year. However, I think it's very fair to say that this defensive line is built, besides the backers, is built to be very good against the run. And now that they brought in Blake Martinez as a middle linebacker, that could be an additional boost towards being very, very stout against the run. Hopefully that is the case. Hopefully they are a, a strong suit when defending teams that like to run the ball It seems like a lot of teams on the Giants' schedule are very run-heavy. They're playing the 49ers this year. They're playing the Baltimore Ravens. And if they want to have success, they're going to need to come to play against teams that are a little bit more reliant on, on running the football. Chris, the first guy I want to start with is one of the more interesting ones. He was a rookie last year. He had some serious flashes. Overall, very, very consistent. That's Dexter Lawrence. In his first season, we saw some some pretty good production in terms of what he was capable of doing. 38 tackles, he had nine quarterback hits, and two and a half sacks for a guy that is ginormous. Over 340, ta- uh, 340 pounds, does not look like a 340 pounder. Looks like he is playing closer to 300 and almost built like an offensive lineman. He was, pretty safe to say, a problem up the middle against some teams that did not have very good guard play and even against some tackles because of that bull rush ability, that ability to back down offensive linemen with his strength, with his weight, with his power. Is 2020, though, going to be the year that he takes that step forward where he puts himself in the conversation of his highest potential of being a very, very good defensive tackle? You know, I'm not sure, and... The fact that I'm not sure has absolutely nothing to do with Dexter Lawrence himself, just the circumstances of the year. He hasn't been able to work with coaches. You know, He hasn't been able to be in the facilities. He hasn't been able to work with his position coaches or even on his own going and working with coaches has been problematic for a lot of the year. And I think that what Lawrence really needs to, to take that next step and really unlock his athletic potential is to learn how to use his hands, learn how to use a variety of rush moves, not just rely on being a massive and massively powerful human being. I mean, that can take you far, but at the, at the NFL level, offensive linemen are massive and massively powerful as well. So you have to be able to 
rush with at least some technique. You have to be able to win those hand fighting battles, uh, really learn angles and how to position yourself and position your hips in gaps to really maximize what you can do athletically. And right now, I'm just, just until we get to see it on the field, I'm I'm just not sure Lawrence has just been able to do that. I believe he will eventually. The unfortunate reality of the year is, you know, has he been able to work with coaches to really refine his technique to that point? What I want to see from Lawrence coming up in 2020, similar to what you talked about, he is a very, very good bull rusher, and that caused a lot of big plays for him last year. But if we want to see that next step, instead of just being the space-eating guy that collapses the pocket with his strength, then becoming a possible legit threat as a defensive end, defensive tackle, for him to become that serious threat and in the conversation of being a Pro Bowl caliber defensive lineman, he needs to upgrade his arsenal. And I can guarantee that's probably what he has been working on during this complicated offseason, if he's been able to get with whatever coach that he trains with during the offseason, adding other power moves to that arsenal. He's still a very quick guy for his size, but I don't see him coming around with a spin move or a, a swim for that matter. He's just not built for that. He needs to add things like clubs, rips, use those big, powerful arms to eliminate the ability for offensive linemen to lock on, grab onto the interior of his pads, and, and, and try and lock him down. Because some linemen are, are, are smart enough that if they start to get driven back, at the very least, if they can lock on the inside of your pads, you're not getting any, even if you're getting pushed back, you can at least limit them from making contact with a runner or to the quarterback. So he needs to find ways to disengage, get his hands off, and become not just a, a pressure a quarterback pressure guy and become a quarterback hits type defensive end, a, um, a, a, a quarterback, even getting sacks, more sacks as an interior defensive lineman in that, that possible level of production of, of Fletcher Cox, those types of guys, he has that capability, but he needs to add more moves, uh, to his, his pass rush move arsenal. Yeah. And I think that will be the key to him being a more consistent presence along the defensive line. Also, you mentioned him as a defensive end, and I think that will also kind of be key for him. At the end of last year, we saw his production start to trail off. Uh, now, some of that might have been the rookie wall, just, you know, not used to playing 16 games, at the end, especially at the NFL level. But also, as we saw Leonard Williams start to get works into the defensive line rotation, we also saw Dexter Lawrence start to play more nose tackle. And honestly, despite his size, that is just not where his strengths lie. He really is much better as a one gap defensive end or under tackle three technique, uh, four eye technique, five technique, something like that, rather than being matched up over a center and trying to control two gaps. That's just not his game. I really don't want to see him play any more nose tackle. And you make a really good point that it's not his strong suit, despite being the most massive man on this defensive line. He is nimble enough and skilled enough to become a really good 3-4 defensive end in this scheme, or maybe in the fronts where Patrick Graham will utilize only two defensive linemen 
use him in those pack- packages. Uh, you can use him as a nose tackle, but he's capable of racking up production more towards battling guards and tackles um, in, in that sense. The guy, though, that that is the best available nose tackle on this Giants roster, which almost makes you question, why would you even try to put anyone else at nose tackle? That's Dalvin Tomlinson, number 94 on the field, number one in your heart, Chris. You're the biggest fan of Dalvin Tomlinson that we know. And I think it's pretty safe to say that he is probably the best returning guy on this defensive line. Is that fair to say coming into 2020? I would certainly say that, and not just because I am his biggest fan. (laughs) Tomlinson, I think, really is – he isn't the best athlete. In fact, he's probably the worst athlete on this line. He has such great balance. He has just a perfect understanding of angles, leverages. He knows how to put himself in position to win. I've mentioned this before. He was the Giants' most frequently double-teamed defensive lineman last year, which you should expect considering he was their nose tackle. But he also had their highest pass pass rush production or pass rush win rate. Even though he was doubled the most, he was winning more than anyone else. So I think that really does speak to his technique and his ability to be disruptive even when having to deal with defending two gaps and kind of being the rock in the middle of the defense. He he is still able to get penetration. He is still able to disrupt the quarterback. And that's rare from a nose tackle. I would honestly rank him among the best nose tackles in the league. I'd put him right up there with DJ Redder or, well, before his decline in retirement, Damon Harrison. I honestly agree with you, Chris. I think that he is in that conversation for best nose tackle. He has developed into that type of player. It just so happens, however, nose tackles are some of the most underappreciated positions because they don't typically have 15 tackles for losses or uh, 70 tackles and, and 10 sacks. That's just not what you need from a nose tackle in today's modern NFL. You need a guy that creates problems for teams that try to double team, uh, not allowing guys to get to the next level, causing issues for the center. All of that is what you want from a nose tackle. And that is exactly what Dalvin Tomlinson does. Despite that being his primary role, he did still get three and a half sacks last year. He had 49 combined tackles and also nine quarterback hits. So still finding ways to rack up that production despite not really being, um, a, a, a productive in a, in a role that allows him to be productive. Chris, this next guy is someone, and you can probably tell from the tone of my voice, someone that we're just disappointed with the, the handling um, of, of his situation on the roster. We weren't f- the biggest fans of him being traded for in the middle of the season. And now the fact that he is also under the franchise tag also complicates things. That is Leonard Williams, who recently signed to play under the tag for $16 million. That is a lot of money. I even pulled, just for some reference, some of the guys that he is earning more in average annual salary where he sits. He's earning more than Kawan Short, Jarrell Casey, DJ Redder, Stefan Tuitt, Akeem Hicks. I could keep going down this list. There, Cameron Hayward at $10 million. 
Malik Jackson. There's just a, and also Calais Campbell and Michael Pierce. There's a lot of talented guys that he is making significantly more money than, and he's being paid as if he is a a pass rushing defensive tackle. Like he is a game-breaking defensive tackle. And that's just not the impact we get from Leonard Williams. Instead, we get a guy that just takes up space like Dalvin Tomlinson does. Now, I'm not saying that isn't important, but the money that he has asked for and trying to make around $16 million a year for a multi-year deal is just unrealistic to pay him that much for what he is giving to this Giants team. David Gettleman's probably going to end up signing him to some form of a contract extension around that money, so it begs the question, what do we need to see from Williams that will at least make us comfortable and fans comfortable uh, that would make him at least worthy of an extension? Yeah, I I would need to see a big-time year from him. Yeah, Maybe not Aaron Donald or J.J. Watt-type production. The fact that he really doesn't have the kind of track record you would you would expect from a guy being signed to a big time extension his his best year was 2016 with 7 sacks and 11 tackles for a loss but again that was 2016 that was the last time the giants made the playoffs and their defense had you know Jason Pierre-Paul, Damon Harrison, Olivier Vernon, Dominique Rogers Cromartie, Landon Collins Although, you know, it was a completely different defense the last when, you know, th- that's just how long ago it was that Williams had his best season. So the fact that he doesn't have that track record, I, I would need to see a big season from him. You know, we can't really have a season where he gets half a sack and two tackles for a loss again. Yeah, The kind of money that he's asking for is, like I said, that of a game-breaking defensive tackle. Putting him in that $16, $17 million range, that is the contract of J.J. Watt and Grady Jarrett and Fletcher Cox. He is just simply not that type of a player. If you pay him that money, he is not going to be that type of a player. Chris, I pulled one guy for reference that makes the whole thing even more confusing. Matt Ioannidis last year had eight and a half sacks. The previous season, he had seven and a half sacks. Um... I believe they have at some point re-signed him, but the the contract that he is, or I might be wrong on that, but the contract that he is currently playing under is only paying him $7.25 million per year. That is $10 million less than what uh, what, uh, Leonard Williams is asking for. So if a guy, at the very least, you want production like that from a defensive tackle that's getting paid that much. You want close to nine sacks, but Leonard Williams has never really been that guy. So I need to at least see, to justify paying him $16, $15 million, needs to be a, a eight-sack season at the minimum. He needs multiple tackles for loss. It can't be like you said, a half a sack and a couple tackles for loss. That is not justifying... Uh, getting paid $16 million. And maybe Patrick Graham can unlock that. But right now, we just don't have enough to to be confident that he's going to be worth that asking price. Leonard Williams has always been really good at getting to the quarterback late. Since he was drafted in 2015, he had 21 quarterback hits, 19 quarterback hits, 25 quarterback hits, 20 quarterback hits, and then 16 quarterback hits. Now, other than the fact that they've been going down since... 2017 that those are 
good numbers for a defensive tackle or a 3-4 defensive end. The problem is he's just not converting those quarterback hits into sacks. And pressure is good. At some point, you have to get home. You have to actually put the quarterback on the ground. Certainly. And if it comes down to them extending Leonard Williams and then not bringing back Dalvin Tomlinson, who does effectively the same thing as Williams, but at a higher level, I can guarantee you that I will be extremely frustrated. And I know for a fact you will be too. Last guy that I want to hit on here, a part of this defensive line group, the interior defensive guys, is, is BJ Hill, who saw a decreased role after the Giants traded for Leonard Williams and brought him in. Um, He has been pretty good. He had a decent rookie season. He did okay in spots despite seeing a decreased role. Is that going to be the same look that we're going to get from B.J. Hill? Is it going to be that fourth rotational guy that will be used in various packages that you want some heavier guys along the defensive line? I think so. I I think he will he is a starter caliber player. He is a starting caliber player. He could start for a lot of defensive lines in the NFL. And he has a pretty versatile skill set. You know, he was a nose tackle at NC State, but athletically, he could play under tackle, three technique. He could play defensive end in a three four front. So he could fill a lot of roles along this defensive line. And I think he could kind of be that rotational super sub type guy where, okay, defense just had a long drive, put Hill in at nose tackle, let Tomlinson rest a bit, or put Hill in at defensive end. Or if maybe you want to get a little bit more speed on the field, you could put BJ Hill in in place of Dalvin Tomlinson, like if it's a third and long or a situation like that. I think he absolutely could be an every down starter. And the fact that you have four guy, four defensive tackles like that is a good thing for this defense. And hopefully they'll find a, an equitable way to split up the snap shares where they don't just leave three guys on the field forever. And Hill only gets on if somebody gets hurt or you know, really needs a rest. Hopefully he'll see the field enough to show that he deserves to be on it. Super quickly, I just want to provide some clarification. Ioannidis did re-sign this past offseason. Actually, I think it was previous. It was 2019 when he re-signed to a three-year deal. So that is a recent contract that is not a rookie deal uh, for those numbers that I pulled. Going back to BJ Hill, though, I think that this is a good problem to have. To have three young guys that are really, really good that are still on rookie deals. And then also Leonard Williams, who can be really good but we don't I don't want to go back to talking about can we actually get what we want from Leonard Williams but you still have talent across the board you have four good guys the primary look is probably going to be a 3-4 look but we can still use all four of these players on the defensive line you can use all of them in run probable situations if it's third and two third and three second and and four, second and three, if you want to come out there and you think that they're coming out and running the ball, you want to get a little bit of extra pressure, a little bit more meat, you can do exactly that with bringing in B.J. Hill or using him to sub for someone if you need uh, to get a break. Chris, uh, the last two little bits here for starters, I want to talk about two guys that are the Sam backers that are the most likely to get the most reps 
the guys that we're going to see the most in pass rush, rush situations. Heck, we could see both of them on the field at the same time on some third and long spots if they want to go all out with pass rushers. First player being a free agent signing, Kyler Fackrell. He, two seasons ago, had 10 sacks. Bit of a drop-off this past year because the Packers signed Zadarius and Preston Smith, so he took a reduced role. Now we are wondering, will Kyler Fackrell recapture that 10-sack potential after being reunited with Patrick Graham? Can Patrick Graham get that out of him? And if he doesn't, what could his role be like? I think we could wind up seeing Fackrell, like, if he isn't able to unlock that 10 sack potential, which you know, the uh, representative of the, of our Packers site, he called the 2018, something of a fluke said. He didn't think that that number was sustainable give, uh, given the number of pressures he had overall. Basically he had a really good year of converting pressures into sacks, which you can do that. Uh, that's kind of Marcus Golden's game. That's kind of the game he has had with James Betcher, but you have to specifically scheme to get those guys in position. You have to scheme to get them one-on-one matchups or free rushes. Generally speaking, if you don't get a whole lot of pressures overall, you're not going to convert a whole lot of them into sacks just over the course of a normal game because offenses are going to scheme to double team, uh, yeah, things like that. That's a bit generous to say that 2018 was a fluke for him. I, look, I watched Kyler Fackrell, and I can understand saying that it was a fluke, but you don't fluke your way to 10 sacks. You maybe fluke your way to six, but 10 is, is relatively pretty good production. I you, to, to fluke your way to 10 sacks, you would need on all 10 sacks, or at least a majority of them, quarterbacks just walking right into Fackrell, who wasn't even anywhere near uh, being able to make a play. The stuff that I watched on him, some of the big plays that he was he made with the Packers in the past, I see a guy that can get the job done. I don't see a guy that is a premier pass rusher that is going to get 10 sacks, but I see a guy that can be productive by creating quarterback pressures, by collapsing the pocket, by not making things easy for uh, an opposing quarterback. We, we've said this before on the show, Chris, that it, it's not always needing to have four or five sacks a game. That's not always going to happen. It's not entirely realistic. It's more so important to hit home and get a lot of quarterback pressures and a lot of quarterback hits because when you do that, quarterbacks will get flustered, especially younger guys who are less experienced. They will make mistakes. They will underthrow people. They will overthrow people because they are so desperate to get the ball off. And when that pressure maybe doesn't get there if they are thinking in the back of their head I think this person's coming for me in my blind side I need to get it out quick that is just added to the level of overthinking so you might not need 10 sacks from Fackrell but I think he is the right guy if you're trying to find someone to collapse the pocket and generate pressure that way yeah and I think where Fackrell will win outside of being schemed one-on-one matchups and things like that is with his hustle because that's one thing I really noticed in the film I watched of him is that he is he is a guy who plays through the echo of the whistle you know he he will fight through offensive linemen you know if his first move doesn't work he'll try to string a second move together uh 
if the quarterback starts to scramble, he will stay with the play. So that I think is where he can have an impact and really kind of convert some of those pressures where, yeah, it might not count as a pass rush win because it didn't happen in two and a half seconds, but over over the course of longer reps, I think he can eventually work his way free and have an impact. The last guy that is in the equation for significant snaps and possible contributions is O'Shane Zimenez, listed as a Sam backer. There's honestly a, a decent possibility that Zimenez finds his way as the starting Sam by the end of the season. I have to say for me, Zimenez has to be one of the more underrated guys on this team. Last year, he didn't get a ton of snaps. He didn't get on the field much. Understandably, he was a third-round rookie out of a small team in Old Dominion. It wasn't likely for him to get on the field much. But he still was pretty impactful in the times that he was on the field. He still managed to finish third in sacks on the team with four and a half. He still managed to rack up five tackles for loss and also had nine quarterback hits. That's not tremendous production, but considering he didn't really see the field much... Um, compared to some other pass rushers, that's pretty good. And if Patrick Graham will seek out ways to use the talent on this roster, I think that he will be intrigued by what Zimenez can do. The biggest hurdle for him, and it's obviously not helped by this difficult offseason, is progressing as a pass rusher, improving his arsenal similar to Dexter Lawrence. It's not going to be easy for him to do that with this with this complicated offseason. I'm not saying he's going to have 15 sacks, but he's going to be on the field much, much more than he was last year. Yeah, I definitely think he, if he isn't on the field more, he probably should be. Yeah, He might start out behind Fackrell, but it would not surprise me in the least to see him work his way past Fackrell. Zimenez is not the most impressive athlete he's kind of he's kind of an average athlete for a pass rusher he's got good burst good agility good bend but not really great in any of that I think he did come out of college with a level of polish you don't normally see especially from a smaller school prospect you know he does he still has work to do on you on learning how to use his hands uh learning how to use his pass rush moves he actually I thought did a better job of that than some big school prospects you see. You see guys who come out who are, you know, those big, long athletic freaks, and they never had to develop that technique. But Zimenez did have at least a solid foundation coming out. And I think that will help him in his second year because he's seen NFL play now. He's seen NFL offensive tackles. He's seen NFL defenses. So I, I think for him, the biggest hurdle will be a earning the new coach's trust and b learning the defense as a whole and how everything fits together i think once he gets that he should be on the field a fair bit i consider Zimenez someone who is going to be a few years away from hitting that possible potential that he has he is yet to unlock it 2020 however needs to be the year that Zimenez gets increased snaps in an increased role so he can improve and follow a path of development. Chris, if we're talking about edge rushers and pass rush guys and likely Sam backers, we have to talk about Marcus Golden because he is technically 
going to be on this Giants roster because of the tag that they placed on him, a very rare tag that is frankly not used very often. It is essentially locking Marcus Golden in. They'd have to be willing to give up something significant in order to bring in Marcus Golden. I think it's pretty safe to say that no one is going to be willing to give up something significant for him. Even a team that is desperate for even a little bit of pass rush help is not going to be willing to do it. Marcus Golden is going to be on this roster, and he's probably going to be the starting key Sam Backer for for this group. Considering everything that's going on, uh, the fact that he hasn't been able to visit with teams, uh, hasn't been able to work out for anybody, it's likely he'll be a giant. Chris, last piece here for these defensive linemen before we hit on the commercial break. I want to talk about the backups, the guys that are, are listed as the most likely players to be contribu- contributing a, a more of a minimal role, that being Austin Johnson, who was a free agent that was signed, RJ McIntosh, who was drafted a few seasons ago, Nico Lalos, who was an undrafted free agent, Chris Slayton drafted last season, I believe, uh, edge rusher Carter Coughlin, who was a part of this draft class out of Minnesota. And then lastly, edge rusher undrafted free agent uh, Ulu- Oluale Batiku out of Illinois, as well as USC. All of these guys are backups right now on this roster. Chris, who do you think out of any of them will actually contribute in some form or another? I would probably put my money on Austin Johnson on the interior simply because he is a veteran NFL player. He has that potential to back up Dalvin Tomlinson as an actual nose tackle. And he has started games in the league. He has had production, not great production, but he's had production and he is not that expensive to keep around. Also, I also our our listeners should know I I'm a fan of Carter Coughlin's. I think he will work his way onto the field on defense, just maybe not just as a pure pass rusher, kind of as that guy who can play in space, but also come down and rush the passer in certain blitz packages, or if they want to try a, a maybe a more exotic look, I, I think he could stick with the 55 man roster and get on the field on game day. I, I think he has that potential. Coughlin to me is is a really good underdog type guy to make his way onto the field, make his way onto the roster. He probably won't have a big role, but I wouldn't be shocked if, like you said, he finds a way to work into various sub packages like like we talked about when we broke him down specifically. I also see Austin Johnson being that that fifth guy behind B.J. Hill, maybe even a similar amount of reps as BJ Hill in terms of getting onto the field and Chris Slayton too. Uh, all three of those guys uh, seem like to be the best bets to actually contributing some meaningful snaps during the season. We are going to wrap up with doing what we always do, which is saying who is going to go home, who's going to go in the practice squad before we get to it. We're going to take a really short commercial break. Support for this show comes from Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Loom help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. That's why millions of teams around the world, including 75% of the Fortune 500, trust Atlassian software for everything from space exploration and green energy 
to delivering pizzas and podcasts. Whether you're a team of two, 200 or 2 million, or whether your team is around the corner or on another continent altogether, Atlassian Software is built to help keep you all on the same page from start to finish. That way, every one of your teams, from engineering and IT to marketing, HR and legal, can stay connected and move together as one towards shared company-wide goals. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com. That's A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. The defensive line out of any position group might be one of the easier. I think I said this for the offensive line too. This is a pretty easy pick for who we think is actually going to get cut slash placed on the practice squad. In terms of cut, the clearest uh, candidate for this is RJ McIntosh, who has really not done much since being drafted a couple years ago. It's pretty clear that the front office, new coaching staff, they are are pretty much done with, with McIntosh. He hasn't really done much. He hasn't contributed much. He was supposed to be developmental, has not really panned out in any form or fashion. Um, the other guys that, that are added to the equation are Batiku and also Nico Lalos. They're both undrafted free agents. The hill for them to climb is always very, very hard. It's not an easy path to make the roster as an undrafted free agent, especially when the group is the strongest on the team. The rest of the guys, uh, Austin Johnson and Chris Slayton, I think are, are stronger locks to return as the fifth and sixth defensive tackles. And then Coughlin, if they want to find a way to keep him, um, I think could be that, that extra sandbacker or special teams player. Yeah. I, I think we could go either way on Chris Slayton. Uh, to me, he, he might fall into the same category as RJ McIntosh where you know, he was a developmental guy that had some athletic traits the team liked, but you know, hasn't really done anything. I think if he doesn't really show much growth in camp this year, he could find himself on the outside as well. Uh, potentially, he I think he could be a practice squad guy along with Lalos and Batiku. I'm with you. I think Carter Coughlin works his way onto the roster. I think he winds up sticking. Coughlin is just the type of guy that we, we say this all the time when we've talked about him. Every time we reference him, it's that he has the character. He has the the work ethic that's very noticeable. He has the football IQ, especially to make a case for himself as the, the coaching staff to find a way to keep him. He would be that third sandbacker. Um, you would assume that there would be some way that they could at least figure out how they can move some pieces around to keep him a part of of this 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 Giants uh, season roster, it, practice squad, two likely candidates. Maybe you don't keep both of them. Lalus and Batiko are probably the guys that stick around for the practice squad because they are undrafted free agents. 
Yeah, th- those guys I think need to be given a chance to develop. And as we s- said, talking about the backup offensive line, I think this is actually a good year to try to sneak guys through to the practice squad, just because there isn't going to be that same amount of tape, preseason tape, I should say, available for other teams to watch and potentially try to uh, steal (laughs) guys that your team would rather keep around. So I feel like it might be a little bit safer to expose these young guys to the waiver wire this year. All right, that is going to be it for this episode of the Chris and Joe Show. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, Be sure to rate and subscribe wherever you may be listening to us. Also, follow us on social media at Big Blue View. You can follow me at Joe DeLeon, and you can follow Chris at Raptor MKII. Also, head to our website, BigBlueView.com. Next position group will be the linebackers, which is a very, very full group.